Good morning, everyone. Good to be with you this morning. Um, <clears throat> as Craig said, there are uh, sheets of paper and pens all over the place. We won't be using them until the end of the sermon. Um, but if you didn't get one, maybe find one. Uh, <laughs> I'm being very helpful here, aren't I? Uh, the ushers, I think, might have some extras. There are some down here. Um, but we'll be getting to that at the end. Um, as Craig said, my name's Devlin. Uh, I'm on the preaching team here and really excited to be with you this morning and to continue our uh, sermon series where we are going through the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount now for about six months. It's been a long time, but uh, it's been really good. It's been really fun to dig into this text together. And we're in the final section of the Sermon on the Mount, a section we're calling the life of genuine faith. And in this sort of ending part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving some concluding words to this, his most famous sermon, and instructing us on, on what this means. How do we have faith that's real, that's genuine, that affects us, and that affects others? Um, so let's dive right in. Our text for, our, for today is from Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 17. Um, if you have Bibles or your phone, feel free to turn there with me. Matthew 7, beginning with verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So here Jesus is, is giving a couple of teachings, and I think we can sort of sum up what's going on here by saying this, and it's um, that the life of genuine faith can be summarized as treating other people the way that God treats us. The life of genuine faith can be summarized as treating other people the way God treats us. I know that phrase can be summarized is maybe a little clumsy, but this certainly isn't the only way we can summarize what faith is, but I think it encapsulates what Jesus is saying in this text. So let's consider this by beginning with God. Um, in this text, there's a logic to what's happening in this text, where Jesus is saying that human fathers know how to give good gifts to their children. And if that's true, that even fathers on this earth know how to give good gifts to their children, how much greater must it be with God? 
right? So the text says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The life of genuine faith, I think, begins with realizing this truth about God. That God is a father who's better than any earthly father we've ever experienced, who wants to give good gifts to his children. The beginning of faith is realizing the simple and often repeated truth that God loves us. It's a truth we hear all the time, but I think we could spend a lot more time deeply reflecting on it and letting it sink in that God loves you exactly as you are. That God cares about you and has compassion for you and treats you with kindness that God's love for you is deep and wide and long and high and that it will never fail, never cease, and never stop. We need to begin by recognizing this deep truth and letting it penetrate deeply into us. Let it transform who we are, our hearts, our minds, our actions. God is for us. Right? How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him. Now, we need to be a little careful here about what these good gifts are, what the heavenly Father is giving. There are, we've all experienced times where we have prayed or asked God for something and that thing has not happened. Now, this text, I don't think, directly addresses the, the really complicated theological problem of unanswered prayer, but there's a couple of things here that I think are important to realize. I don't think this text means that God gives us literally anything we asked for, right? Our experience tells us that that's very clearly not the case. Also, no good father would do that, right? No good father gives their child literally anything they ask for. For those of you who are parents, I don't think I need to tell you this. You have all experienced your kids asking for things that it would just be bad for you to give it to them. I remember a while back there was this uh, sort of trend on, on social media where parents were ch sharing reasons that their children were crying or were upset. Um, and some of them were, were just cra very crazy and very funny. Uh, I remember one parent was sharing, uh, you know, like showed this video of their child, their young child crying. Uh, because the child was upset that the parent wouldn't let them eat a battery for breakfast, right? Uh, there was another one I just saw uh, just recently during Halloween. The, the, the child and parent had like carved a pumpkin and made a jack-o'-lantern together. And the child was upset that the parent wouldn't turn off the sun so that they could see their like jack-o'-lantern lit up, right? Um, or another one I remember, uh, this little kid was sitting on a book but was also upset that they couldn't read the book, but they were sitting on it, but they wanted to sit on it, but they wanted to read it, and they were just, it wasn't, it wasn't a pretty scene, right? So no, no good parent gives to their child literally everything they ask for. God has more wisdom and honestly more love for us than that. We should also notice in this text what the child is asking for. It says, 
If your son asks for bread or if he asks for a fish, uh, in the time of the New Testament, bread and fish are the basic sort of foods of the day. You may remember from the story of the feeding of the 5,000 that it's bread and fish that are multiplied among the group. It's, it's as if today a child asks for milk or eggs or wheat or rice, right? Just really basic foods. The child here is not asking for for Kobe beef or caviar or lobster or single malt scotch, right? The text doesn't say which of you, if your son asks for single malt scotch, doesn't give it to him with some caviar, right? That's not what's, that's not what's happening here. It's about needs being met, not necessarily every single desire being met. Then also, Jesus here is, is using language that uh, forms a tradition in the Old Testament, in the, in the Hebrew Bible, and in Jewish tradition of God and of the wisdom of God being found by those who seek it. So there's this text in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, where God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Right, so to these uh, exiles who are away from their homeland, God promises that they will find him when they seek him. Right? The same sort of language we get in our text, seek and you will find. Uh, something similar in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 17, their uh, wisdom is being personified and the wisdom of God is speaking and is saying, I love those who love me, and those who seek me, find me. So wisdom says, if you seek me, you will find me. Uh, there's a tradition in, in Judaism, uh, there's a story of one rabbi in the Talmud who says, if a person says to you, I have labored and I have not found success, do not believe him. Similarly, if someone says to you, I have not labored but have found success, don't believe them either. But if someone says to you, I have labored, labored and I have found success, believe him. But then I love what happens. Immediately after, another rabbi in the Talmud says, this applies only to matters of Torah, as success with respect to Torah study is in accordance with the toil and effort invested. So this rabbi is saying for people who put in the labor and the effort in Torah, in biblical study, they will find what they are seeking for. So this text isn't that, you know, a good father, God gives you anything you desire. It's about needs. It's about seeking God. It's about wisdom. And I think the version of this story in Luke makes this really clear. So in the Gospel of Luke, we get this same story, but Jesus says it a little bit differently then. In Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So in that version of the teaching, Jesus says the thing that the, that the Father gives to those who ask is the Holy Spirit. God loves us. And above all else, God wants to give us himself. God wants to give us his spirit and God 
promises that when we seek after him, he will reveal himself to us. It's like God's love for us is so great. He doesn't you know, put us in the basement, but he puts us in the, the penthouse of his heart. He cares for us more deeply than we could possibly imagine. He gives himself when we seek him. He gives us our needs when we ask. Above all else, God treats us with goodness, our passage tells us which then has some pretty clear implications for us. It means that because God treats us with goodness, we should treat others with goodness. We should treat others the way that God treats us. This is a summary of that verse in our text that has become known as the golden rule. In verse 12, Jesus says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus says all of scripture is summed up in this command. The author of another book in the New Testament, 1 John, says I think the same thing, but in little different words. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, he says we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. I think sometimes we really want to like complicate the faith when there are things about it that are pretty simple. Realize and recognize how deep God's love is for you and let that transform us so that we become more loving towards others. Now this can be really hard for us, certainly, right? Often we don't want to treat people the way God Uh, treats us. We want to treat people the way that they have already treated us, right? I mean, just this, just this morning, uh, my wife and I were driving here, and this, this guy, like, comes on, and he just, like, starts drifting across all the lanes, and then just keeps drifting, right? And I'm, like, laying on my horn, slamming the brakes. My wife thought we were going to get in a crash. It was very close. And then immediately, what I want to do is pull up next to him and just glare at him, right? Um, And I I did that. He wasn't looking, so it wasn't very satisfying. Um, But it's hard for us, right? We want to do that. And and we need to to correct ourselves by careful attention to God's love. Instead of, you know, dressing for revenge, we need to treat other people the way that God treats us. We have to be able to recognize our own faults in all of this. We have to be able to say, it's me, hi. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. Too often we have this version of Christianity, I think, that, that ends with us. The story of faith that we tell is, is often, I'm a sinner, God loves me, Jesus came and died for me, and now my sins are forgiven and I get to be in heaven with God forever. And here's the thing, that's obviously very true, and that's very good, but that is an incomplete story of the faith. God's love for you doesn't stop with you. It is meant to go through you to others in this world. God's forgiveness of your sins doesn't stop with you, but it means that you forgive others. God's kindness towards you doesn't stop with you. It means you demonstrate kindness to others. 
It's like, imagine if um, I've, uh, over the past year, have gotten more into, into weightlifting. And sometimes I watch these YouTube videos of these, like, professional weightlifters, like strongmen or, you know, big powerlifters. And sometimes they do a, like, what I eat in a day. And it's just insane. Like, these strongmen are eating, like, 7,000 calories a day, right? Or someone like Michael Phelps would be like this, right? He just eats an ungodly amount of food every day. However, for them, it's okay because they're like exercising out the wazoo, they're, they're lifting weights, you know, Phelps is swimming, I don't know, a marathon every day, whatever he's doing. Imagine if you ate like one of those people but didn't exercise like one of them, right? That would obviously be an incredibly unhealthy lifestyle. Sometimes our Christianity, I think, looks like that where we consume spirituality, we consume, we go to church, we maybe listen to podcasts or read our Bibles or Christian books, we consume our spirituality, but then we don't go and exercise our spirituality. When we consume God's love, we also need to exercise it by demonstrating that love towards others. Clearly, as we said before, this isn't easy. I think even in this text, Jesus tells us this is not going to be easy. He gives us a warning. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus is saying the way of this genuine faith is narrow and difficult and only a few find it. The easier way is broad and there's lots of people there. Now, I don't, I don't think this text is one that should you know, cause us to speculate about how many people are saved or how many people aren't. I think the point of this text is to say walking the narrow path is difficult and it requires focus. Um, I have a, there's a photo, if we could get it on the screen, um, that I took when I was in Israel many years ago. This is a picture of the Judean wilderness, right? So this is in modern uh, Palestine, the occupied West Bank, and there's just wilderness everywhere, and there's lots of very narrow paths through the wilderness. I think when Jesus gave this sermon, this is the sort of path that people would be thinking of. It's not impossible to walk. I don't think that's the point. But it's not easy to walk, right? It's small. There's a drop-off. This is not a, a path that you can walk and be distracted, right? You can't be scrolling on your phone and walking this path at the same time. I think that's what Jesus is saying. It's hyperbole to say that walking this road is difficult. It requires focus and effort. And I think we've seen this throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount. As we've gone through these past six months of this text, I have been repeatedly um, sort of taken aback by the high standard to which Jesus calls his followers. He repeatedly challenges us to action. And here's the thing, I think that we can do it. 
with the salvation accomplished by Christ, with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can walk the narrow path, but we need the commitment, the intentionality, the dedication, and the perseverance to do so. I think this warning that Jesus gives us about this narrow path, though, is also paired with reassurance. This is one of, honestly, the few places in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus reassures those of, who, those of us who are listening. Right? Jesus began this sort of reassurance by saying, hey, God is the good father. God will give you good gifts. God is listening to you, will provide you himself, will provide you his wisdom, will provide you what you need. And I think the other reassurance that is in this text is Jesus saying, there is this narrow path, but at the end of it is life. At the end of the path is eternal life with God, where we can enjoy his presence and his beauty and his glory forever. So I think that's this. The life of genuine faith can be summarized very simply as treating other people the way that God treats us. I think it's really simple Sometimes we, though, just need to be reminded of what's simple. Sometimes we have this thing where we just get older, but we don't get any wiser. I want us to think about this. I want us to reflect on this. That's why you have uh, these sheets of paper that are scattered throughout the room. Um, if you don't have one, there are a couple more at the front. Uh, the questions will also be put on the screen, so you can always just reflect and, and jot some notes down on your phone if you would like. But the book of James uh, warns us about looking at the Bible and then just going away and not doing it and not putting it into action. James says that it's like looking in a mirror and then immediately forgetting what you look like. I don't want us to do that. I want to give us some time to consider this. So uh, the band can, can come back up. And what's going to happen now is I'm just going to give you a few moments to think, reflect, pray, and jot down any thoughts that you may have um, on this sheet of paper. This looks way more intense than it really is. Uh, this is really just three prompts. The first one is God has been good to me in... And I, I want you to consider what is a way in your life that you have seen God's goodness. The second prompt is, I will be good to someone by. And then the question there is, what thing does God's goodness motivate you to do? Right? If God has been good to you in X, how are you going to let that thing prompt you to be good to others around you? And then the third thing is, I will talk with uh, I will talk about this with. Who is someone that you will talk to about this, right? Don't just let this be something that lives in your mind forever, but a way to give yourself some accountability and, and discuss is just name someone that you'll talk to about this, your partner, your roommate, your friend, your hope group, whomever. Um, so it's just those three prompts, and then they're repeated a second time, so you can think about two things if you would like. Um, 
The beauty of faith is that God's love for us is just absolutely wild. I hope that we can be people who consider that, who let it affect us deeply and are transformed by it. And let's be people with whom that love doesn't end with us, but we can be a vehicle for God's love for others in the world. So I'll give you some time, I'll give you a couple minutes to consider and reflect and pray about these things, uh, and then we'll close up together in a moment. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you for your goodness to us. You are loving and kind. You are gracious and true. We thank you that no matter what happens in this world, there is nothing that can separate us from your love, neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. We thank you that your love for us is deep and wide and long and high, that it surpasses every measure. that your mercies are new every morning and your faithfulness is great, that you are a God who never leaves and who never forsakes. Father, give us the eyes to see your goodness to us. Help us to recognize all of the little ways in daily life that you are present, that you are speaking, and that you are reaching out to us. God, we want to be people who seek you. We pray, Father, that you will honor our seeking of you by letting us find you. Make us aware of how you are with us, God. And God, may your love shape us and transform us in a way that makes us radically new. May we become new creations who, who build our lives on your love. God, may you make us people who give your love to others and to those around us. People who demonstrate your love, not just on Sundays, but on every day of the week with all of the people we come into contact with, Lord. God, may you give us the perseverance, the motivation, the diligence to put into practice the things that you are speaking to us and calling us to do. We thank you, Jesus, and so we offer ourselves to you and to your service now and always. Amen. Amen.